Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Navigation system. Please say a command. On. Ignition. Powered. Seatbelts. Fastened. Shift, drive. Twin City sports fans, hold on tight. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, this is the Ride with Royce. The Timberwolves uh, were early on in this collapse by the Cleveland Cavaliers. On uh, January 8th, they visited Target Center and the Timberwolves defeated them 127 to 99. And we all figured that was just kind of a little blip, didn't we, fellas? That yeah. this um, was a two, three week thing. Very temporary. Two, three week thing the Cavaliers might be going through. Uh, well, then came Saturday night. Uh, as the collapse continued, they got beat 120 to 88, the Cavs, by Houston, nationally televised game. And then Tuesday at Orlando. We were bad-mouthing our fighting wolves when they managed to lose at Orlando a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Last night, they <laughs> led by 21 points in the first half at Orlando, the Cavs, and still managed to end up getting beat. By 18. Uh, yes. They are 1-6 in their past seven games. On the, uh, they, they, uh, they, they have just absolutely gone in the tank. Tyron Lou, their coach got sick in the second quarter last night when they were playing good. Imagine how sick he would have been if he had to watch it. But uh, Manny, uh, you and I were talking earlier. They're uh, they're going to see the best the cat this collection of Cavs have tonight. Yes. Or they're going to get off to a fast start. They might see the worst, huh? Yeah. If the Cavs decide to pack it in. Yeah, I mean that's I, I'm. I'm very, very curious as to what Cavs team we're going to see against the Wolves tonight because it it could be this could be like they basically tank it and Tyron Lue is not going to survive the season even though you know he was given you know the that sort of what do they call it the kiss of death so to speak that he's you know he's not in any trouble you know from the front office and that sort of thing but um, this is also I think setting up for I mean because it's the Wolves right. Yes. And anytime, you know, the Wolves seem to be getting into a situation where they're going up against a team that's reeling and then they, they Especially when out. it's from the East. Yeah. Well, hell, the game against Orlando that you talked about a few weeks yeah. ago, Orlando had lost yeah. like eight in a row or something like that going into that game. They'd won so. one game since December tenth or some damn thing. Don't yeah. we though? I mean, I know that the the Cavs are dealing with injuries and ineffective play from a guy that they were counting on in Thomas, but 
don't you kind of think they're going to figure it out at some point here? I'm not sure. They still have the best player on the planet. They're, yes, they're, they they're not going to yeah. beat the Warriors. I get that. They're, 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 they're going to make, make the playoffs, playoffs and be but in the division. But uh, I'm not sure they can beat Boston or even Toronto. I mean, Toronto's playing really well. They don't guard anybody, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's bad, well, you know. No. They don't. They don't have Kevin Love for a couple more weeks, and I mean, it's and in a controlled thing that is absolutely LeBron. They was asked last night with the trade deadline tomorrow, would you waive your to get out of here? Would you waive your trade thing? And he said, "Nope, I'm in here for the long haul." <laughs> and then he kind of corrected himself and meant to the end of the season, right? He, said, he's, you know, he, he is so gone. After but this here's season. the other thing. I don't know where he's he going to go. He is not going to. He still, he still hates Dan Gilbert. Oh right? yeah, and he totally. is not going to give him any chance to bail out of this mess and trade him. You know, and get a lot in return. And get something for him. Yeah. There's, there's no way LeBron's going to give him the power, Dan Gilbert. And according no, to Stephen A. Smith yesterday, that it's that Dan Gilbert is just apparently is just ready for LeBron to be gone anyway, which is. But I don't know how you can want that caliber of a player to just be gone well, he, altogether. Think, but you're an owner. You're a rich guy. It's like Robert Kraft uh, with whatever happened with Belichick. You don't like to not be the boss. You don't yeah. like to not have the power, right? Mm-hmm. You don't like to have somebody else calling all the shots. And since he got here... Since he got back, LeBron has called all the shots, right? Yeah. Well, to the you, point, Gilbert is now what the, the word was out a couple of weeks ago. He was. I don't think it's official, right? But there's stories out that he's going to sell the team or really? wants to sell the team. I, yeah. I had not heard that, but I got news for him. He should have sold them last year. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, uh, well LeBron, he'll still if he decided to sell, plenty. he'd still make a ton. Yeah, he had plenty, but he won't get as much as uh, he was going to get if there was any thought LeBron might stay. And here's and here's my thing. And you guys know I'm a LeBron guy. I like LeBron. I defend him when other people are ripping him for unnecessary stuff with Jordan comparisons and all that ridiculous stuff. But he's got to wear some of this too, in terms of the way the roster is, the oh, way yeah. they're constructed, and you got guys that are not playing well at all and they're making a lot of money and they're locked into contracts beyond this year. I mean, J.R. Smith is just an afterthought and he's still getting paid and Tristan Thompson's been terrible and he's making $17, $18 million a year. And LeBron, it was LeBron who pushed for all of these guys to get these contracts and they abided by it because they wanted to keep him happy and mm-hmm. now they're stuck in where they are. Where they have no financial flexibility. That's the other thing. Go? I don't know. Where... I don't, he doesn't want it. Everybody says the Lakers. That makes the most sense. The, the only other and everything. The but only other thing I could think of is does he want to wait three years to win? The only other team I could think of is Houston because yes. of the he's he, him and Chris Paul are like brothers. But I, I just they I mean they, they would have to do some maneuvering with their money too to make that people, work. Yes, but people out in the. Uh, outer reaches of NBA dumb like us, we'd go crazy about putting another super team together in Houston. But the league would love it. Yeah, you'd have Houston and Golden State going at, against each other in the mm-hmm. Western Conference, each with three of the greatest players in the league, three of the 
eight best players. They'd have six of the eight best players in the league <laughs> but, on the floor. Do you yeah. think, though, that the LeBron ego and the LeBron legacy would want to go through leaving his hometown and a second time? Oh, oh, I, oh, oh yeah, no he, he would. Yeah, he would do it in a heartbeat again. He's he, already he, won a championship he came there. Home they were mad at him. He can't stand to have people and, mad at him. And you know what? He went back and he won a championship yeah. there. And oh, yeah, he's he's got nothing. Him. He's got nothing else to give that city, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he, it's just going to be where you he wants to go. Just wonder how worn out he is, though. Man, alive. He's playing a lot of basketball. Physically. I mean, he's a monster, and that's a big body to lug around, man. He has played a lot of basketball yeah, in the last and, 10 uh, years. and the, the, the emotional. Uh, weight he's had to carry of being the guy after every game, every you know you're you're in the spotlight a hundred three hundred sixty five days a year, and you're controversial and you're thin skinned and sensitive. Right. It's got to be tough, man. but that's not going to change regardless of what team he plays for. No, no, but well, if he's in Houston, it won't be as bad. It won't be as bad as it is in Cleveland. But he's still going to be the best player in the game. Yeah, well, right. Uh, but he's yeah. going to, at least in a place like Houston, he's going to have like a Chris Paul who is every bit Harden, as. Yeah, yeah he's, I mean, Chris Paul is every bit as, you know, sort of imposing as a personality as LeBron is. So. Yeah. All righty. Uh, we shall return. Uh, I'm going to have a little conversation with Kevin Seifert on issues such as Josh McDaniels backing out as the uh, coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert. Here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's NFL Nation reporter Kevin Seifert. Presented by Mystic Lake. Kevin uh, Seifert is with us. Kevin, the Josh McDaniels story is amazing. I, somebody, yep. I saw somebody tweeted out that this proves that the Patriots are a cult. <laughs> it's uh, what uh, it, it is. I see his agent today has uh, said that he's uh, done with Josh McDaniels. Although apparently they've broken up a couple other times and come yes. back together. So. Yes, his agent is Bob Lamont, who is the leading NFL kingmaker. And if you want to be a head coach in the NFL, he's probably your top agent to hire um he's uh or general manager he's very good uh at that and uh and his blessing or his uh or his lack of a blessing is uh is very noteworthy amongst many many decision makers um you know it's it's there have have been lots of rumors that josh mcdaniels was not a done deal but we all kind of took it as the Patriots being so locked in on, you know, we're on to Cincinnati, we're on to yeah, the Super Bowl, right. we're not focused on anything else. Not, it wasn't that he was avoiding any kind of confirmation or, or wink nod uh, in public uh, because he didn't want to take the job. It was that he was just focused on the Super Bowl, and that's all, and that's the way they do things. And then, in a way, that's what ended up happening in that, you know, they play the Super Bowl Sunday, they get back Monday. On Tuesday, he goes in to clear out his desk, and he gets pulled into Belichick's office or into Robert Kraft's office or wherever they had it for what our guy Mike Reese, who recovers the Patriots, uh, said would just be a sort of a, assumed to be an exit meeting. You know, thank you very much, you know, we're, for your contributions. Maybe we'll run into each other down the line. And it turned into this really aggressive recruiting process where – they told him point blank how much they think of him, how much they think he's crucial to the operation of the franchise, and how they can't foresee you know going forward without him. And this was the first time he had heard any of this uh, or any real interest on the part of the franchise to aggressively 
uh, keep him, and uh, probably because they were just focused on the next week, and it's in their minds we focus on the off season and the off season. So that's when the conversation ha- happened. Had it happened in December when this whole thing started, uh, he probably wouldn't even have been interviewed. But in the end, that's when they got to it, and that's when he received the assurance that he was critical to the operation of the Patriots, and that's when he decided to, to back away. And uh, Belichick, uh, that Mike Reese, who does a great job recovering that team, yeah. uh, reported that uh, basically Belichick said, I'm going to show you how I do everything here. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like... You're gonna. We're gonna prepare you to take over the job. Is is basically what it sounds. I'm gonna show you how I manipulate a roster. I'm gonna show you this and that. Apparently, and who did? Apparently, apparently, through the years, Belichick didn't show his assistants how to do this. Huh? And who? And who didn't lie awake at night when they were a kid, hoping that one day Bill Belichick would show them how he manages the salary cap? But um, that you know, when you take that in a broader perspective, it sounds like he's going to be put in a position to be sort of the assistant head coach, um, yes. in addition to being the person who really does run the offense. You know, Belichick came up a defensive guy. He obviously has brilliance on all sides of the ball, but uh, people who are on the team say Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady basically run that offense, come up with the schemes, and, and that Belichick, if he concentrates on one side of the ball more than the other, it's certainly defense. And so um, that's... By all accounts, however, they gave him no assurances in writing yes, or right. even verbally that he's going to be the next coach. But um, I guess he feels like this is a, still a better deal for him to keep uh, keep learning and working and keep burnishing the resume. Uh, as long as Tom Brady's around, he's probably going to have a pretty good offense, and it's not as if his football resume is going to deteriorate, and he'll learn some more. And eventually, you know, even if people are mad at him now and aren't yeah. going to hire him now, I mean, if he... There's never, there's always a shortage of quarterback gurus that, or teams, or people that teams perceive to be quarterback gurus that they, uh, that people want to hire to to help their team get better. And so I can't imagine there being a, a scenario where Josh McDaniels keeps succeeding with Tom Brady, and maybe the guy they draft to uh, to back up Tom Brady next year. Um, and there aren't some teams. I mean, if Cleveland fires sure. Jackson in the off, off season, are they going to not, you know, even look into Josh McDaniels because oh, he he backed out of the Colts? I mean, of course they would. I would assume uh, want to evaluate all possible candidates. Yeah. Now, uh, the picture that was uh, tweeted out, uh, the photo of Kraft and uh, Belichick having dinner together in some restaurant, was that Monday night? I saw it. Uh, I saw the a photo of them uh, that was on Twitter of them. I haven't having, seen that photo, but it probably dinner. would have to be. You you would wa- ha- you're wondering if it was Monday night and they were plotting this out yeah. to take one last shot at uh, keeping McDaniel. That's that's the likely. It wouldn't have been Sunday. It wouldn't be back in time. So Monday would be the the likely. If that was the case, that would have been the likely timing. And then and then late. Uh, Tuesday afternoon is apparently when this meeting with McDaniels happened. It didn't end until like 7 or 7.30. Yeah, boy, that's... Uh, uh, Indianapolis, of course, if they don't get Andrew Luck back, that isn't uh, too great a job right now. You don't know what his situation is, but it's... Uh, if those if those two teams are on each other's schedule next year, that'll be fun. They are. They, they are. are. They play They play in New England, though, so Josh McDaniels won't have to face the fearsome Colts uh, <laughs> home, home fans. So what's your theory on no home Holding penalties and all those dropbacks. Uh, was there actually no, no? Was there actually no holding that took place in that I entire? Mean, no obvious holding that took place in that entire game. I didn't. Well, I gotta admit, where I was sitting, I couldn't tell, but I didn't yeah. see anything that looked too yeah. bad. 
I mean, there was definitely like no, like I didn't see any takedowns no. or any like you know guys grabbing you know, jerseys so hard that they ripped off or anything. But you know, we always talk about it uh, how penalties kind of decrease in the playoffs, and you can't really if penalties are going to decrease, you can't do it through like false starts. And uh, yeah, right. if some of these false starts, you got to call it. If there's 12 men on the field, you got to call it. But if you want to quote unquote let them play, or you want to just you know, be uh, the opposite of an aggressive official, uh, holding, uh, pass interference. Those are the kind of judgment calls where it can happen. Um, you know, it, it is very rare. I guess we should, you know, it'll, we'll probably need like an off-season research project to find out, but you basically, you go through almost the entire game with no sacks, but also, uh, you know, no, no holding, offensive holding. And so that is, it's usually doesn't necessarily work that way. We, those are two pretty good offensive lines, but still. I think that probably, at least, while there was nothing dramatic or drastic, I think that probably still points to the idea that whether it's written or unwritten, you know, officials aren't looking to throw the flags in the Super Bowl. Hey, what, what the heck? Uh, total penalties were what, five or six? Uh, yeah. They weren't, hold, you know, New England known for their grabby uh, secondary. There was nobody close enough to a receiver to grab them, I guess. Right. It was no, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, the Patriots, I mean, they, both teams, like, I think the Patriots came into the game with seven penalties in the playoffs, the pre, so that would have been two games, and, and the Eagles had eight penalties, and so neither one of them had, and then two games, so neither one of them had had, had, had penalties, uh, many penalties called against them, and I think the number was almost 40%, you know, the, the, in terms of, in the, in the regular season, officials called them with 16 penalties a game, and in the, in the, uh, playoffs leading to the Super Bowl, it was at 9.5. So basically a 40% drop in penalties called per game, uh, during the playoffs. So that, that speaks to, to what you're talking about as well. And, uh, uh, first, and of course, the, uh, the catch rule, uh, if, if they interpret the catch rule that way, uh, the rest of yeah. their, uh, rest of their, uh, careers, they'll be fine. Yeah, and the weird thing is the second one, the the, the Zach Ertz touchdown that yes. ended up being the game winner. That was, I don't know what what that was obvious. Like I don't know why it yeah, took he ran two it minutes or three minutes. Yeah. Caught the ball, he took eleven steps or whatever it was, and <laughs> then dove. You know, which players yeah. do to make sure the ball gets over. He got over. He had possession. It got over. It's a touchdown, and then he lost it only when he hit the ground. And still got it back you know and while he before he was touched so it wasn't that there was i don't know what they were looking for but every second that went that went by made me nervous that oh my god the super bowl is going to be decided by some crazy <laughs> catch rule the one that was more intricate and, and and probably confusing was that uh pass to to cory clements uh, the running back in the back of the end zone in the third quarter uh, where he 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 had possession of the ball then it moved he had possession, he got two feet in bounds, but then it moved and he was going to the ground and he, by the time he gained possession again, he only got one foot in. So there was a very similar play like that in the regular season with Kelvin Benjamin, also of the Bills, also against the Patriots where there was, there was some control and then lost and then gained again, but when he was out of bounds and they overturned it. And so I thought if they'd stayed on that same standard, which I didn't agree with that standard, but if they stayed on that same standard, the Clements uh, touchdown would be overturned, but it was not. So, long story short, a suggestion that maybe they just got a little ahead of their skis on that one with the Bills and Patriots in the in the regular season and kind of got themselves corrected. But all it's all going to be fixed. Uh, Roger Goodell said that, that yeah. this is going to be a major offseason push to get the catch rule fixed. I really question whether it's – well, I think everybody will agree that it would be nice to get it fixed. I question whether there's an obvious answer to how to do it. 
Uh, modern football is amazing, though, the matchup uh, uh, situations. Corey Clement doesn't, he, he must have been on the field for two plays in the Vikings game, in yeah. the NFC title game, yeah. and now all of a sudden, He's on the play in the he's on the field in the first series, and there, you know, he becomes an ace receiver, and it's 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 amazing how they find matchups, they find plays that they think they're going to work, and that this is the guy that can run that play better than yeah. anybody else. It's uh, incredible. The interesting thing is he is um, kind of this latest uh, example of this new wave of running backs. I don't know how new wave it is, but it's now getting a lot more publicity. The running backs who can catch. Yes, and you know whether it's a Matt Forte in Chicago or the, the, the Patriots have that James White. Um, you know, there's there's a you know, got Deion Lewis, another one, the guys who are almost as good as receivers as they are as uh, running backs, and that's what he is. Uh, I think he can run fine. He would not the type of guy you expect to come out of Wisconsin, as Frank Reich, uh, the offense coordinator, was saying. Usually, you want you you see. Uh, Badgers running back yeah. coming out as being the Ron Dane, you know, bulldozer types. But those are the those are the kind of running backs not only that are going to be drafted more often, um, you know, Jarek McKinnon being a local example, but are probably going to get paid more often in free agency because even if they have a little bit, they don't get as much wear and tear because they're not running it 250 or 300 times a season. Uh, and even if they do, they can still be very valuable in the, in the passing game. So those are the kind of running backs to keep an eye on when we talk about who is of value and who isn't? Because I think um, I think teams are more and more finding value in, in, in position flexible players like that. Uh, Kevin, one last thing, Malcolm Butler. Uh, we will never hear the truth from Bill Belichick as to why he didn't play. And if Malcolm sticks to his story uh, and nobody has video of him smoking weed or something, I don't think we'll ever know the story of why he didn't play. No, it'll, you know, maybe it'll be one of those where he. When he, once he signs with another team and he's got a contract and he's been paid, he'll sit down with somebody and it'll all come out. But the Patriots have a funny way of just uh, maybe like a black hole, just all that, all the information gets sucked in and never gets sucked out. And so I, I don't expect necessarily to have a full picture of that. And I don't know if there's a simple answer. I don't know that, that Belichick just like, is pun- it was just as simple as punishing him for something or it was as simple as, uh, a game. It would it would be surprising if it was as simple as him just thinking he didn't match up well against the other team, given how often he played during the season. Yes. So it there it's possible that there's like a whole bunch of things that happened and it created a perfect storm where where he didn't play. And Albert Breer from the MMQB uh, reported that not even Bob Kraft knew that he wasn't playing, and he was sitting up in an owner's box during the game saying, why isn't the guy playing? So who knows? Um, and I don't know, as you say, if we'll ever know, but I doubt it's something very simple that could be explained in a straight line. Kevin, thank you, sir. We will talk to you later. Okay, Patrick. All right, uh, Kevin Seifert, NFL Nation blog, ESPN. Uh, and we'll be back with Johnny Height Sports update and this one is filled with information like all of them but particularly this one here's johnny height with a sports update this update brought to you by exergen temporal scanner thermometer bad cold and flu season is upon us the main difference between them is the flu brings a fever be prepared with the exergen temporal scanner thermometer backed by more than 70 clinical studies Minnesota Wild got some bad news this afternoon. How bad? Defenseman Jonas Brodeen had surgery to repair a broken left hand. Oh, no. He'll be out three to four weeks. 
our hand, the hands on prominent local athletes are, uh, mm-hmm. are uh, hurting here, Santana. Don't get this. cute with that, Kenny. Yeah. The surgery. No, I was just going to say, he's a hockey player. He'll be back in three days. True, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> They'll have him cut it off. He'll be like uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Put me in, coach. Yeah. Even even goes back to when Kevin Love hurt his hand That's doing right. knuckle push-ups oh, back there a few years ago. Surgery was performed by Dr. Jeffrey Husband at Trio Orthopedic Center, and yes, it was successful. Brodine suffered the injury in last night's win over St. Louis. Uh, today at practice, Bruce Boudreaux, the coach of the Wild, said, you've heard it all around sports, the sports world this year. Next guy up. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if uh, Mrs. Husband gets sick of people saying, hey, what's your husband's name? She says, husband. It's kind of like, who's on first? Right. right? The whole deal there. Wild open a five-game homestand with a game He's against. second. There's no more wrong with you. The Wolves in action tonight. Uh, they are playing LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland. Uh, the Lynx today uh, made some moves. They traded power forward Natasha Howard to the Seattle Storm. Easy name to spell. That's easy name easy to spell, yeah. Natasha Howard. They'll get a 2018 second-round draft pick. Uh, they also re-signed forward Cecilia Zandalassini. See, that's a hard name to spell. Very Italian, isn't mm-hmm. it? That was my mother's middle name, Cecilia. I can spell really? that, but... Uh, just hmm. call her Cece. Mm-hmm. The uh, sign-and-trade deal with Seattle will net the Lynx the 17th overall pick in the 2018 draft, plus they have the right to exercise a swap of first-round picks in 2019. The Lynx also signed free agent forwards Lynetta Kaiser and Andy Miam. No Wait. no easy names. So they can swap first-round picks in 2019? That's what it said. Huh. They have the, it said uh, they have the right to exercise a swap. So I, I suppose it's I was going to ask how many rounds did they have? You said a second round pick. I had no idea how deep the WNBA draft went. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. There's only twelve teams. You know. Yeah. I think they have three rounds. They have three. Okay, that'll be something to watch if Seattle has a bad year in the in 2019, and the Lynx can maybe swap picks with them. Get a top two pickers. You know, I was looking up the Celtics dynasty in comparison to the Patriots dynasty. Nineteen, I think it started in '56. Uh-huh. Nine in a row. Twelve, eight teams in the league. Really? Eight teams in the so league. So a bit yeah. different of a landscape yes, is what you're saying. I'm saying it was a different landscape. Hmm. Uh, that would have been Cousy and Russell, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Europe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hennepin County judges ruled in favor of a Twin Cities-based bank saying former Viking Adrian Peterson has to pay the balance of a loan on which he defaulted. <laughs> don't you? Most of us do, don't we? Judge Laurie Miller ruled that Peterson has to pay a total of $609,786 to Crown Bank. He'll also have to pay... Starring on episode two of Broke, 30 for 30, <laughs> Adrian <laughs> Peterson. He's to sell his camel. He is going to be broke in five oh years. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Peterson also has to pay Crown Bank's attorney's fees, which were almost twenty nine grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bank filed suit against Peterson in October, saying he defaulted on a $2.4 million loan he took out in May of 2016. Uh, he had paid- Why did he have to take out a loan when he was still making all that money? What is wrong with him? Wow, that's too bad. He did pay the loan down to almost $595,000 uh, after entering into a forbearance agreement. Always spend somebody else's money. Mm-hmm. That's a good theory. Until they want it back, right? Yeah. I had a buddy, Kenny, in college that would apply for every credit card that would come in the mail, and he'd say, (laughs) Those were the days. He's like, Reavers, this is free money. I'm like, Dummy, you got to pay that back someday. (laughs) No, no, no. This is free money, he would say. (laughs) Russell Wilson got traded today. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) To the Yankees. All right. By the Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. What'd they they get for him? 
Yes. Uh, you Cash know, considerations? I, I haven't seen that in any story, to be truthful. Uh, but uh, the, apparently he just always wanted to be a Yankee, and Texas and New York worked it out. Cashman uh, worked it out with John Daniels of the Rangers. That uh, damn evil Empire Yankee team. They're always trying to get all the good players. Uh, he actually uh, will go to training camp. Uh, he loves baseball, as we all know. He's played with the Rangers, and he'll go to training camp uh, for a brief time. Uh, just to those cheap Gentlemen, I, didn't trade for I him. just discovered what I haven't heard from Jim Cott. If uh, oh, no. he's going to uh, join us uh-huh. again this year, sure. okay. I sent the text to Brad Lane. Oh. <laughs> you did? I sent it to Brad. I, it, actually, oh. I didn't send it to anybody, but it was sitting there for Brad Lane. So, sure. Well, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, that, the two names don't even start with the same letter. H I J K L. They're pretty happened. close. K and L. Hey, uh, are you okay, Sid? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm only joking, Pat. I didn't mean that seriously. Don't don't get upset and sad. <laughs> don't get sad. I'm worried about myself. There's no doubt about it. Well, can can Brad be on the show then? Or? <laughs> oh, thank God we got the football fun fest. They want to keep me around. <laughs> oh. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, is, did Brad confirm whether he's going to join us then or no? <laughs> Take a hike, Jim. All right. I got to send kind of text. I didn't uh, get to see much of last night's Gopher-Nebraska game. Uh, they couldn't have played that bad in Nebraska. What's going on with Nebraska, by the way? They're scoring 90 They're good. points. They're no, good. They try. They used to try to beat you 54-48. to 48. Uh, Yeah. Well, where did he get his players? Nebraska and Ohio. a bunch of guys bail on him, too. Yeah, right? Nebraska like, and Ohio State are obviously the two most surprising teams of, of mm-hmm. conference play this year. But they can shoot. They're good. Nebraska came into the season, I think, even... Uh, Miles is on the hot seat, but I was just going to say Tim's seat was pretty sizzling going into this year. He's a really good guy. I'm glad to see it. Matt guy can sweat though, man. Oh yeah, he can. (laughs) He's always always got the pit rings rocking before halftime. But he's an amazing story. He started at Mayville State. Yeah, you know, you talk about Doug Peterson. Okay, that's even better. He had an NFL background. He might have coached at a high school, but he's not a high school coach. Right. You know. Tim Miles' Mayville State was where it all started for him, and he went up one rung at a time, and it's it's good to see him doing that. And I bet Nebraska people start have started filling that arena because you know their basketball is stunk traditionally for. But they have years. a beautiful facility, right? Yeah, they do. But uh, I don't think it would take much to get them excited. Oh, no, heavens, no, no, not at all. But. The the problem, Pat, and I, I I've been saying this for weeks. And last night was, I think, their chance to win their last conference game because you look at the schedule; they ain't going to do it going forward. Their problem is they're they can score, they can't stop anybody. They yeah. they play no defense. But if you get McBrayer, you know I'm you know I'm not been the number one defender of Patino, obviously. But if you get McBrayer out of the lineup and Coffee out of the lineup and Reggie Lynch out of the lineup. You got guys playing thirty minutes that don't belong. You know, Michael. True. You know, the hurt kid. God love him. And their depth is, a, is a, should be at uh, MSU Mankato. Their depth was a concern yes. even before Lynch got suspended and before Amir Coffey got hurt. I get all that, but but why, you would still think they, that somebody why, would stand in front of a, a, another player from the other team and stop somebody. You once know, in a it while. was a disaster. In in retrospect, they panicked. Four years ago, the first year that they were in charge, 
not the first year they replaced Tubby, not that recruiting group, but the next year they set up the deal where they got Konate and Jeju. Jeju. And all they went over and took the trip to Europe and used the the group. Mm -hmm. You know, they had them arrange the group, arrange the travel that also was connected to these two players that, you know, I think it was SI did a great story on all these, this connection and the NCAA didn't even bother to follow up on it, but you know, so there nothing, there was no off offshoot of this, but the punishment for the Gophers for that recruiting trick was they end up with two guys who can't play. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's and my criticism. They, and, of- and those guys are, they want to, they're apparently kids who want to get a scholarship, get, get an education. Mm-hmm. So they've stuck around. They haven't been able to run them off. And that was the biggest. Remember, in Tubby's final couple of years, the biggest critique of him was that the players never got better under him. And these two guys are classic examples. They look completely lost on the court. And they're seniors. I, I think they devoted a lot of time to Kanate that they might have been better off devoting to the other guy. The other guy has more Juju. basketball ability, I think. But neither of them are. But the fact that they've stayed and you haven't been able to, you know, you could have went out and maybe got a couple of transfers or a couple of JUCOs or something. Yeah. But these two guys, guys that stayed, would actually contribute, and they, they right. can't play. No. and They give you nothing. No. It's... Uh, I mean, that's 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 all you're going to get from Nate Mason and uh, Murphy, right? Oh, that's, that's a, I mean, absolutely that's, that's pretty damn good. Meanwhile, Gopher uh, the football recruiting wrapped up today. The Gophers didn't sign anybody. I think they have a scholarship left. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I thought they could sign one more, but uh, maybe they're holding out for a transfer or something. You know, some graduate transfer or something. They are two two forty seven sports, which basically takes all the recruiting sites and puts them together and uh, has their rankings. They have the Gophers 35th nationally, uh, uh, one of their highest rankings ever. I think Coach Brew was 18 or 19 his second year, and then that, but that was, <laughs> you know that that was the signing class. Yeah. About six of those guys never got here, right? No, right. I mean, a lot of them, and they couldn't play. And the big and get was, was Marquise, right? Marquise yeah, Gray was the big get. And there was no get. balance in that recruiting class either. They had, like, a bunch of spread formation guys and not many linemen and anything. So this is a, a good recruiting class, 35th uh, nationally, higher than that in ESPN, but 35th nationally, and uh, that's, that's a good recruiting class. And 7th uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, and second in the Western, uh, in the in the West Division behind Nebraska. Now, what's hard to decipher is the Gophers had a full 26. And some of these other teams are only getting 18, 19, and 20 because obviously they have more seniors, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not exactly sure how they rate those, but it was uh, indeed a, a pretty good recruiting class. And he signed, uh, he signed I think, eight walk-ons today, too. So You know what we learned? Well, to grow, you must fail. Yes, we did, and we we should be about twelve foot six right now after last year. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Quiet, please. We'll be on the air. And now, this day in history, Patrick, February seventh, nineteen sixty four. Pan Am Yankee Club.
Clipper Flight 101 from London Heathrow landed at Kennedy Airport in New York, and Beatlemania had arrived for the first time in the United States. This was only six days after I Want to Hold Your Hand gave the Beatles their first number one hit. At Kennedy, the Fab Four, dressed in mod suits and sporting their trademark pudding bowl haircuts, <laughs> were greeted by 3,000 screaming fans who caused an ear riot when the boys stepped off their plane and onto American soil. Two days later, McCartney, Ringo, George Harrison, and John Lennon, ages 21, 23, 23, and 20, made their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. And some of the greatest TV I've ever watched as an old guy. Oh yeah, was the 50 year anniversary of the Ed that Sullivan was show spectacular. when they uh, in 2014 yes. when they uh, you know they Ringo was there and McCartney was mm-hmm. there of course but the uh, they had Alicia Keys and John Lennon John, John Legend. Legend that was the best performance be. yes oh that Adam was great. Levine did a great job of mm-hmm. singing Ticket to Ride and. Uh, uh, they had that little wimp Ed Sheeran up there. I didn't think much of that. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of him. That was. That and, was you know, you, you look at how TV I, is rated now, yeah. how giant of a number that they got on CBS that night, too, oh, given yeah. given the way that we, you know, everything's online, everything's on demand. I think oh, they got 100. It was spectacular. It was so well done. They that really did a good job with that. Allie's <laughs> right. He's absolutely yeah, right. right. The group made their first public concert appearance on February 11th at the Coliseum in Washington, D.C., and 20,000 fans attended. And nobody ever heard a thing at one of their concerts no! in the U.S. Except for screaming. All they heard was screaming <laughs> yeah. from 14 to 22-year-old women. It was, uh, it was a phenomenon you guys will never experience.